0: you'll please take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And as you're turning to Isaiah, again, for me personally, this is my 14th year of doing Advent with you. So there's always that um, time of what do you focus on? Something that's very familiar. But I can tell you this, no matter how many times you go to the Scripture... There's always something new there. Now maybe you haven't heard it before, or maybe you have heard it, but maybe you've just forgotten over the years. And so this Advent season, we're going to be focusing on the darkness and the light that comes. So our overall theme is after darkness, light. It's a Reformation theme, post-tenebrous lux. And we're going to be looking specifically at the light that is promised in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at the light pondered by Mary and Joseph. We're going to look at the light proclaimed by the angels and the light praised by the shepherds. So this morning, just to, to give you a basis, there's a history to what's going on here in the midst of darkness. And I want to give you that history or a little bit of it. Um, but please go later in the day and read from Second Kings 16 and Second Chronicles 28. Because this gives us the background to King Ahaz. Now, King Ahaz is uh, someone who's here and he's actually an evil king. But he comes from a king who was good, who did right in the sight of the Lord. And then his offspring comes back and renews the relationship. But right now, King Ahaz um, is in a period of time where there is darkness, and so we're going to kind of undersee why did God give these words in Isaiah 9 to the people at this time. So look at Isaiah 9, starting at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. For in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." For the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, excuse me, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again in the, this Advent time, Lord, we ask that you would make a common story very new. Lord, that you renew our spirits and you renew our hope and joy. To be found in Jesus Christ alone. It's to him that we give all glory and honor. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is what is the darkness that's going on here. And so the darkness has come upon the people, but there's a reason for that. And what I want you to do is to see that the darkness has come, but the darkness has come, and we would see it in Isaiah 8. And I want you to, to see it up here behind you or look in your Bibles. So we're starting at verse 19. It says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. That's Isaiah. For he says, behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and potentates in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwell on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living, to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. For they will pass through the land, and they will be greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and turn their faces upward. And then they will look to the earth, but behold, distress And darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So we have here the understanding that what's happening is that we love darkness. It's true for back then, but it's also true. It's John 3 verses 19 through 21 that's up in front of you. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, the reality is, is again, we are people who love darkness for the most part because it's something that covers us. There's a safety sometimes in darkness because we don't like to be exposed for who we really are. We don't want our core exposed. See, we love our sin nature, or we're at least scared to let it go because it's something that we hold on to. And so, what happens and what the people are seeing this is they begin to look for answers in the world. That's what the scripture tells us. We begin to, to try to, to fix things in our lives. And how do we do that? Well, we look to man's knowledge, we look to man's strength. But the reality is the scripture says every time that we continue to look to the world, darkness continues to become thicker. When we trust in ourselves, darkness doesn't dissipate. It becomes darker. And so what happens is Isaiah is writing to these people and he's writing to people who are experiencing despair. These are people who are going through trials because their king has plunged them into a place where there's no hope in essence. And so what happens is we get the this, this statement that all of us know about this statement, misery loves company. And so what happens is that as bitterness starts to come, it begins to spread, doesn't it? I mean, so what happens is that it starts to create unlikely alliances. So you will find, like yesterday, you would have uh, the uh, Georgia Bulldog fans, and you'd have the, the Gator fans all hating Alabama fans. But typically they would be at odds. But all of a sudden they're friends because they're in an upheaval because they want so much for this to be devastated. So we find there's odd alliances. We, we find that people talk and we like it when other people feel our misery, don't we? How do we change that? God gave me this story this year. There's um, Someone was dealing with a, a, a brother that moved into the neighborhood. But this brother had a hound dog that uh, they lived in Kentucky. And so they were on this huge piece of land. And the hound dog would run on this land. But now he's in a, a, a neighborhood where he's unable to go out and run. And so the, the, uh, the parent, for lack of a better word, of this dog, um, allows the dog to get into the truck. And he drives it around the neighborhood. And the dog is constantly roof, 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 all around the neighborhood multiple times, multiple times. To the place where a lot of the neighbors begin to become um, uptight, upset, angry about it. And so they start to talk to one another. And one of the people said to this person, you know, I used to complain about that. But what it does is it turns and it makes me say, he probably doesn't know Jesus. Maybe I should pray every time I hear the hounds barking. Different perspective. See, misery loves company and we perpetuate it. We perpetuate it in all different areas. We perpetuate it in culture. We perpetuate it in social situations, physical, spiritual. It gets perpetuated all through and people continue to get misery. And what happens is we begin to try to fix it. That's what the scripture was telling us. See, if we try to fix this bitterness, then what happens is we try to find in the way of the world many things that don't fix it. Ahaz, listen to what Ahaz does. If you go to Second Kings sixteen, Second Chronicles twenty eight, this is what Ahaz tried to do. He institute idol worship. He goes so far that he sacrifices his own sons to false gods. He looks to other nations for wisdom and protection. But listen, he went um, and he finds a new altar and he brings the new altar back and he institutes this false worship. But you know what he does? He does sort of like what we do sometimes. He said, hey, take the altar of God and put it on the side because I don't want to get rid of it completely. Because sometimes I might want to go and inquire of it. But listen to what the people were doing. It says they listened to those who chirp and mutter instead of listening to God. How many of us go and listen to, and and I think it was kind of funny that it says chirp and muttering, and we listen to tweets. (laughs) How many people listen to all those things, all those little snippets, and we follow that, but we don't open the word of God. And it's saying that these people are listening to all the stuff that's going around, but they're not listening to God. And it also says that the people become distressed, and they become hungry. Because of the situation they find themselves in. And so how how do they deal with it? Well, the scripture told us they curse the king and they curse God. See, when we become distressed, when we become overwhelmed, it's easy to blame everybody else. We complain about the government. We complain about our jobs. We can complain about our own families. We can complain about anything. And are we cursing those and authority. And not only that, do we, like Ahaz, do we honor with just our lips? Listen to what Matthew fifteen, eight says about us. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, that's the struggle. May that not be us. May our heart be fully given to the worship. May we fully be given to fighting the darkness, to finding and going back to the word. So these people experience despair, but it also, these people experience captivity. Because what happens is that um, Ahaz makes a deal with the enemy. So Ahaz, it says in the, again, in 2 Chronicles, it says Ahaz became more faithless more faithless and so again if you remember isaiah 7 and we're not dealing with this passage this advent season but it's the the virgin will be with the child remember god goes to ahaz and he says just trust me and i will take care of you and ahaz says no thanks i'm going to trust the world and so he becomes more faithless and what happens is the people become captive they are slaves they're naked they're beaten it says in the accounts that the men of valor are killed the good men are killed in the midst of this time and so what he does is he makes a deal with assyria and so what he does is he takes money from god's temple he takes the gold and the silver and he buys a friend And the scripture tells us very clearly in 2 Chronicles that this did not help. So he spent all this money. He's sacrificing his own sons. He's looking to the world. And what happens is that he experiences now judgment. Listen, when obedience to the Lord is gone, the Lord's blessings and his protection are gone. And so darkness, listen comes by our own choosing but here's the relationship but god but god because what god gives to us in chapter nine is he brings about illumination what do i mean that well when god sends the light there is hope now hope is not um, I hope that this team wins a national championship. I hope that these family members come for Christmas. This is a hope that is found and secured in faith. It is, um, if you look at the statements, it says, uh, those who have walked in darkness have seen, not will see, it's have seen. So it's talking about something um, in the future, but it's a present of uh, uh excuse me it's a uh, is perfect so it's it's done in the sense of saying this is sure this will be done and because this will be done then the reality is it's it will happen and so he's saying this will happen and then he he gives to us from Matthew 4 this is the passage that answers it and so i want you to look at this now when he heard that john had been arrested jesus he withdrew into galilee And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. For the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, for the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to repent, to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the reality is, is that there is the fulfillment. And what Jesus does is he begins at ground zero. Do you understand that? So what Isaiah said is he's saying, hey, these people are experiencing the true judgment, the harshest judgment, the most extensive judgment from God. And God comes back and says, I'm sending Jesus himself into Galilee. And from ground zero where everything went bad, he's going to start where everything becomes good. And so he gives hope to the people not only does he give hope, he says in the scripture that they will experience joy. You have increased its joy and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. See, here's the reality of the joy. Now, the first thing that they do is they go back to the word of God. They stop looking for answers in the world and they go and they inquire of God. Let me give you an example. Uh, Many of you have heard uh, of Vince Lombardi, one of the great football coaches. And he would start, one of the famous things that he would do at the beginning of his football season, is he would pick up a football and he would say, this is a football. Now I want you to kind of apply that to the church and figure out, this is a Bible. It's the most basic of things. But this is what Vince Lombardi said of the basics. It's the hidden power of mastering the fundamentals. The people of God have got to get back to the basics. We've got to get back to the basics of worship. Worship in the local church. This is a time where we gather together to rejoice, to pray, to praise together, not apart. We should be in the word. We should be having times of prayer. We should be giving acts of service. We should be loving other people more than ourselves. We should have the hidden power of mastering the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Get back to the basics. So when we get back to the basics, then what happens is we find that they're blessings. Now, it doesn't mean that it changes everything. It doesn't mean that the bad situations automatically get good. But what it does say in the scripture, it says that it will increase. And it will go to all the nations. So what happens, instead of sacrificing your children, children are being born and growing up. So what also happens, it has joy. And it says joy is in the the midst of the harvest and the spoils of war. It's a rejoicing time. You've been waiting. You've been toiling. You've been going through the stresses and the strains. But look forward because there is joy that comes. Listen to Hebrews 12.2. It was the joy set before Christ who endured the cross. The joy. Now that doesn't make sense. Jesus is going to be crucified. But Jesus knew by being crucified, he was going to establish that perfect relationship with us and restore us to God the Father. And so he went willingly in joy. Now again, I I don't want you to, to mix that up with happiness. Again, God has never called us to be happy all the time. He says, be joyful, rejoice. Because God has given to us that light that has dawned in the darkness. He's given us hope and he's given us joy that, listen, is truly unexplainable. So when people look at us, they should be able to say, your life, it's so bad, there's so many hard things going on, so why do you still have joy? because we have joy in our savior, Jesus Christ. And so this joy begins to expand. But then also what happens is the people start to experience freedom. Listen, he's telling us very clearly in the scripture that God wins. Listen, and he says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now that's very specific. Because what happened at Midian, and I know most of you remember this, but that happens in Judges chapter 7, and this is where God takes um, um, into battle, into Midian, and he takes Gideon. And you remember he starts with 32,000 men. 32,000. And God says, nope, too many. So he says, let everybody who's afraid, let them go home. and So Gideon gets up there, talks, and there are so many people leaving that there's only 10,000 people left after the 32,000. 10,000. And then God says, you know what? Too many. So I want you to go to the side of the brook and I want you to watch how they drink. And the ones that cup their hand and they bring it to their, their face, I want you to take those into battle. You know how many people of the 10,000 did that? 300. And God says, I want you to go and I want you to encamp. and I want you to spread your army out in three different divisions. And you know what? Don't carry a weapon. Carry a torch and some pots, and then watch me work. See, the reality is, is God is always telling us the victory is his alone. But don't we all get caught up on what's the best way to grow a church? What's the new and best thing to happen? How do we, how do we pay off our debt in the easiest way how do we take care of and raise our children in a specific way how do we fix everything and God says trust me I'm the one who goes before you I'm the one who provides the victory in battle and we are the ones who receive the blessing because of it and so he's providing freedom but he also provides peace don't you look forward today where there's no longer we have to prepare for war Where everything that we own can be thrown into the... That has anything to do with war can be just burned. Because it will never be needed again. We don't have to prepare. Don't you look forward to day where there's no more bickering. No more fighting. No more pain. Where you come to worship and everybody loves everybody perfectly. That's what Jesus is doing. And he's doing that within us individually. Even now. Do we get it right perfectly all the time? No. But Jesus says forgive as I have forgiven you love the way that I love you and when we figure that out then people's sins don't become so big forgiveness comes a whole lot quicker we love just a little bit deeper and so he says this is the peace that I give to you so now how did he do it he gave it through incarnation and so when God revealed the light to the people Which again, this is not to that generation that he's writing to, but he's writing to future generations. He reveals the light, but he reveals the light through a child. That doesn't make sense to our world standards. We want the victor. We want the person who is the mighty warrior. And God says, the way I'm going to do it is not your way's. And I'm going to give to you a child. And so it's an unlikely answer, and it's in an unlikely way. He comes by the virgin birth. And again, we live in a day and age where lots of churches say, it's not a big deal if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. That's a lie. This is one of the core tenets of the faith, because if Jesus was simply born of man, he can't save us from sins. And I want you to look at this scripture um, very clearly in verse uh, 6. It says, for us, to us, a child is born. But listen, to us, a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. It is the God-man that comes to us. And so he comes in this child, and he says, this is the one who's going to be the Messiah. He is 100% God, and he's also 100% man. Born of a virgin, but given to us by God the Father. And he says, this individual, this little child, will do what? He's going to allow the people to experience, maybe, for the first time, a loving king. Because again, King Ahaz is evil. They're in distress, despair, misery, captivity. And here it comes and it gives the the responsibilities of Jesus. And it says his rule is going to go to all the nations. All nations, all tribes. It's going to go to all his rule. And it will be, listen, everlasting. It's not like where we, every four years, get scared about what's going to happen with our nation. It's everlasting. A good king for all time forevermore oh what a gift and so he says this is his rule but then he gives to us these titles and again these are sermons in and of themselves but he says he's going to be the wonderful counselor he's wise in his counsel he understands what you're going through and he is the one who gives you wisdom from the truth of his scripture he's the almighty god he is the one who has great strength he's the everlasting father from everlasting to everlasting. And he is the prince of peace. He creates peace. But he is our peace. Jesus is our peace. And so as he gives to these, these titles. He says not only will you experience a loving king. But you're going to experience a righteous king. And so he says of the increase of this government. There's going to be no end. No end to, to this And so the government is upon his shoulders. And again, when you talk about that, it's the burden of the government. It's Christ gives, he leans into it. And so what happens is as he bears the burden, it increases and shines more brightly. The kingdom is getting brighter. And so what happens is he says that this king is going to bring about justice and righteousness. He is a just God. And there is payment, but that payment came upon his son so that we wouldn't have to experience it. But then he also said he rules in righteousness, which means he has the right to judge and bring judgment. And so he brings this um, loving king, he brings a righteous king, but he also says he's going to do this how? By the zeal of the Lord. And the word here is, it's, it's an intensity. It's, where, it's like where a child becomes red. It's just so pent up and you get so red. it's ah. It says, that's the zeal of the Lord will do this. Why? For there's three things I want you to hear. It's jealousy for his honor. He will be praised. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And all of this is his. The second thing he does It's the truth of his promise. His promise is ever faithful and ever true. And that's what we hold on to. It's that hope that's assured. It's not like us where we break promises all the time. His is assured. It will be forever. And he is faithful. And he will bring it to pass. And then third, listen, what he does? He does it for the good of the church. And listen, I I know we live in a day of, of cynicism And people complain about the church and they hate her. But here's the reality. That's Jesus' wife. Well, then people make it, well, I love the church, I just don't love the people. Can't happen. Can't happen. If you love Jesus' wife, you've got to love the people. And what does Jesus tell his disciples very clearly? They will know we are Christians by our love for one another. Of one another for it's the good of the church so as we look at this advent season the question becomes so what so what so jesus came as an infant child so how does that apply to us well the questions i'm asking you are we choosing darkness or light are we choosing to go and listen to the the murmurs and the chatters of the world are we looking to the world for answers are we going to the dead to pay attention to the living are we in despair? Do we feel like we're captive? Or do we find ourselves rejoicing in joy and feeling the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ? Do we have the opportunity to go deeper with our Savior? And then my last thing is may your, sh- may your, light, your light shine so much brighter this Christmas season. I hope people when they look at you during this Advent time will ask you, what's different about you? What's different about you? And you tell them the gospel message, the good news that Jesus came to pay a price we could never pay, to give his life as a ransom, to heal the sick, and to set captives free. Shine your lights. Be bright this Advent season. Amen? Let's pray. heavenly father again as we start this process of talking about the birth of our savior jesus christ again father i i pray that this would not become boring or routine that this wouldn't become commonplace but lord that we would take to heart the things that you're trying to teach us and the people that you're creating us to be lord for those who felt distant from you Lord, may they get back to the basics and the fundamentals of the faith. For those who have stopped reading the Bible, may they get back into it with no guilt. For those that have stopped coming to church or who are, who hate coming to church, Lord, may you give them a joy that's unexplainable. Lord, for those who are bitter and in despair, Lord, I pray that you would give them forgiveness and then allow them to forgive others. Lord, for those who are lonely and depressed, Lord, may they find a family, and hope. And Lord, may we truly, truly be light that shines in the darkness, not so people are drawn to us, but so people are drawn to you, the light, the one and only Savior of mankind, Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.